looking at then this evening at the issue of choice. Indeed, our choice, not just uh, once in a while, but our daily choice when it comes to living uh, the Christian life. We might think or we might wish that when we became a Christian, we automatically began to do everything right. You don't have to be around churches for very long to discover that manifestly that is not the case. And strange as it may seem, uh, Christians all too often and all too easily carry on in a similar way of living, or at least that's the danger. It's not as if there was the flick of a switch and instantly our lives were changed. (coughs) How we wish that were true, certainly for the people sitting around us, if not for ourselves. We want to please the Lord as Christian disciples, but we sense, uh, and because of that, we sense His Holy Spirit at work within us. But we often recognize that in our own lives, we fail to live up to the expectations we begin to place on ourselves. We don't feel different all of the time. Some of our bad habits don't instantly disappear. In fact, our struggle with sin may even seem to intensify. Why? Well, we need to understand a little bit about what has happened to us when we became uh, a Christian, and what hasn't happened to us when we became a Christian, and what therefore needs to be worked out as we begin to live this new kind of life. What did happen, if we can uh, begin there? As we've seen uh, during other evenings around these topics some very significant and dramatic things took place in your life when you became a Christian. When we became a Christian, we were given a new heart, and the Bible says that God put his new spirit uh, within us. Our heart, our desires, are therefore beginning to become orientated towards God rather than self and sin. And if a Christian commits sin, he or she knows it perhaps more intensely than they used to because the Holy Spirit in their lives convicts them of it. In fact, conviction is a very good sign of salvation. God's Holy Spirit at work in us makes us more aware of the sin that's in our lives. That's a subject we touched on last week here in church. So we have a new heart and a new spirit. We also have a new life in Christ. The Bible says the old stuff's gone, the new has arrived, you are light in the Lord, you're no longer in Adam born in this sinful, messy world, but you've been rooted out of that, out of the flesh, which is the other way the Bible speaks of it, and now you are alive in Christ. And thirdly, we have a new master. Our new spiritual authority is no longer the powers that are at work in this world, but God himself. In fact, we've been rescued, Paul writes to the Colossians, rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's what has happened. But some things did not happen when you became a Christian. For example, your body 
obviously, did not change. You might have wished that it had, but it didn't. Uh, One day we will have new bodies, and we look forward with great anticipation for that day. Uh, But for, uh, for these days, we are as we are in all our glory. Our flesh, which is the word the Bible uses to talk about our human nature that's all corrupted and twisted and broken, our flesh was not taken away. We wish it was. It's so much a part of who we are as people, uh, it wasn't taken away. And uh, as a new believer, we begin to think and react in new ways, but also so much of the old ways of thinking and the old ways of reacting are still very much part of our lives after we've become Christians. You see, we we have learned from our earliest days to live independently of most people and most things. And so we have learned to react in certain ways. We have learned to cope in certain ways. We have learned to think in certain ways. And these ways of reacting and thinking and behaving have been part of our lives that we've grown into since the year we were born. On becoming a Christian... Sadly, no one comes along and presses the clear button that wipes the slate clean. We might wish they would. We'd be disorientated to say the least. But nobody does that. We are who we are and God is saving the person that we are. So lots of our old ways of thinking and our old patterns of behaviour are still very much a part of us as Christian people. Uh, the story is told of uh, a boss taking on a new, uh, a new employee. And uh, uh, this employee seemed to be getting on absolutely fine, was flourishing in the job, uh, uh, multi-talented, more than adequate in competency and commitment to the tasks. But every time she called him into her office for uh, a conversation about anything, his behaviour, his demeanour completely changed. He was anxious, uptight, uh, almost aggressive in his defensiveness. And this went on for weeks and then months, and it didn't matter how kind the the boss, if you like, was, this behaviour did not seem to change. Until one day she thought, don't understand this, and challenged this behaviour. At which invitation, the man explained how in his previous job, every time he got called into the boss's office, the boss used to ridicule him and and cut him down and criticise him. So the idea of being called into his boss's or to her boss's office uh, uh, was, was a terrifying thing for this young man. Even though the context was now completely different, the old patterns of behaviour were still very much alive and well. When you became a Christian, the context all changed, but sadly your old ways of behaving were still very much alive and well. And so we have to embark on a lifelong journey of seeing that old way of thinking, that old way of behaving, renewed and changed. Paul talks about the renewing of our minds in Romans chapter 12. Choosing to throw off the old way of thinking and to put on the new uh, way of thinking. The old way of thinking based on lies, lies about the world, lies 
about ourselves, lies about our, our worldview and so on, uh, and replacing them with correct ways of thinking based on the truth. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about the world we live in, and so on. So the, the word the Bible uses, particularly the NIV translates it sometimes, sinful nature. Is that, is that word sarks, that word flesh, that natural you that has developed these old patterns of behavior? You see, when you became a Christian, your nature, your, your deep inside, your spiritual nature changed. But this flesh wages war, as we know all too well, against the new spirit that is within you. So, our flesh was not taken away, and sadly, sin did not die when we became a Christian either. The good news is that Christ has power over our sin. The bad news is that it's still around. And we're all too aware of that, aren't we? Sadly, in our lives. We're all too aware that sin isn't dead. In fact, we're all too aware how enormously appealing sin is and still can be. How tempting sin is for us. How easy it would be for us to seek those legitimate needs of significance and security and acceptance, not from God, but through wrong behaviour and relationships. Even though sin used to be our master, Paul tells us that it has no power over us, but we know it feels like all too often that it is our master, that we are slaves to it. And that's why Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6, and he repeats it again in chapter 8, as we heard some moments ago, is that when you became a Christian, you have to understand that you died to sin. That you died to sin. That sin is part of the old and nothing to do with the new. And so we have that struggle, that war waging within us that Paul talks about in Romans 7. The things he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things he knows he shouldn't do, he just doesn't seem to be able to throw off. You've had feelings like that, I'm sure. So there is this law of sin at work in us, and yet all through these letters, Paul writes about living by another law, the law of the spirit of life. And this is where the choice comes in. You see, there are two laws at work in your life, and you choose, you choose which law you will live by. One is more powerful than the other. Your experience might tempt you to think that the law of sin is more powerful than the law of the Spirit. The truth, if you would dare believe it, is that it's the other way around. For example, there's no way uh, that I can fly. Every time I jump into the air, there is an inescapable law of gravity that keeps my feet on the ground. That's the law that's at work. It's at work all around us. It's work in our lives right now, the law of gravity. But if I go into an aeroplane, I can overcome the law of gravity by a greater, more powerful law, the law of aerodynamics and the power of the engine and so on. It's not that the law of gravity ceases to exist when I fly in an aeroplane, but that a greater law, a greater power overcomes it. 
The law that is now at work in you by God's Spirit is greater than the law of sin and death that used to reign in your lives. You choose which law you live by. Every single day when we get up in the morning, we choose which law we will live by. And so every day we face these very real choices. Even though uh, we no longer have to think and react according to our flesh, it's all too easy for us to choose to do so, even as Christians. Even though sin has no power over us, we can choose to give into it. And it takes us back to what we looked at last time, because you say, well, sin does have power over me. You know, I can't resist it. The Bible says that sin doesn't have power over you. The Bible says that the power within us is greater than the law of sin and death. And if only we would believe that truth, then maybe the reality would be so. So although nothing can change the fact of who we now are and God's love for us, the outcome of tomorrow is still your responsibility. You can choose to live under the law of sin and death as people are living all around. Or tomorrow you can choose to live under a greater law, the law of the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit that brings freedom to our lives. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about three different types of person. The first person he talks about is, is, is the natural person, the, the unregenerative, the, the, the pre-Christian, the non-born again, the spiritually dead, whatever terminology you want to use. So as a person who is not yet a Christian, someone who's physically alive but spiritually dead, separated from God, living independently from God, lives in the flesh. Their actions, their behavior and so on is what they have developed out of their own human nature, dictated by their flesh. And they have no spiritual basis for coping with life's stresses. The natural person. And then you have the Christian, the spiritual person, This is the uh, normal state, if you like, for the Christian. Transformed through faith in Christ, their spirit, united with God's spirit, has received already forgiveness, acceptance into God's family, realization of worth in Christ, receives impetus from God's spirit instead of the flesh. So the law of the spirit is, is now at work, this new power seeking to take control rather than the flesh that has ruled up until now. Uh, that same spirit is renewing the mind uh, in Christ. Our emotions are marked by peace and joy instead of turmoil. The spiritual person chooses to walk in the spirit and daily crucifies, daily says no to the law of sin and death. You say, wow, I wish I had half of that. That's the, that's the model, that's, the, that, that's the, the, the goal of our Christian living. But all too often, as Christian people, we've settled for kind of no man's land, somewhere in between the two. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, you have this person described, uh, the fleshly person. A Christian... A Christian who lives like a non-Christian because they allow the law of sin and death to rule in their lives instead of the law of God's Spirit. Describes a person who's been made spiritually alive, just like the spiritual person, but instead of choosing to follow the impulses of the Spirit, 
follows the impulses of the flesh. He or she is free to walk according to the Spirit, but chooses not to, either deliberately or because he or she is being deceived, and simply does not understand the truth of who he or she now is. And so we have a a daily life, if we're not careful, where we are living, uh, proclaiming to be uh, in Christ, but living woefully without him. Living, living controlled by all those things we proclaim that he has saved us from. Uh, and it's no wonder it's a frustrating place to be. And so our mind, instead of being imbued with the Spirit, become occupied by wrong thoughts. And instead of having that crystal clear focus of, of who we are in God and therefore receiving the healing that we need for our emotions, our emotions are plagued by negative feelings. And, uh, 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 and instead of understanding our worth in God and our value, feelings of inferiority and insecurity and inadequacy, guilt and worry and that, become all too easily the order of the day. And we feel worse about those things now we are a Christian than when we weren't, because we know that now we're a Christian, it should be different, but it isn't different. And so we're stuck as Paul puts it when he writes to the Romans at the end of chapter 7, stuck in this hideous place of supposedly being in Christ, but it feels like we're still very much in uh, the flesh. We delight in God's law, but yet it doesn't rule. We delight in God's spirit, and yet the law of sin and death is still so powerfully at work within us. And I guess there are times in all our Christian lives when we can relate to a scenario like this. When we're all fully paid up, but actually the reality is in our spiritual world it's just not happening. Even before we've got out of bed in the morning, we know all too well that the law of sin and death is ruling and reigning. What happens? Well, of course, it produces barriers within us. Barriers uh, for our growth and our fulfillment. The Bible tells us that God has given us everything. Everything we need to live a life that pleases him. 2 Peter 1.3 But then there are these barriers that stop us getting there. Like ignorance. It, it's, it's all too easy. It's all too easy to think that now we are in Christ. The rest of it comes as if by magic. It's all too easy to be deceived. It's all too easy to settle for some kind of half-baked spiritual life because, well, this Christianity, it promises so much. I'm feeling like it's delivering to me so little. I can't really moan about it. Who do I moan to? If I moan to people in church, then they think I'm not as good a Christian as they are, so I can't tell anybody about it. And I settle for this kind of no man's land. I, I, I am in Christ, at least that's what the Bible says, but it doesn't feel like it very much. I feel like I should be having uh, authority over these sins and these habits in my life, but actually they seem to have authority over me. And we end up deceived because we settle for it being the way that it is. And so you might hear yourself saying, well, it works for others, but it doesn't work for me. And I could never have faith like so-and-so. And God could never use me like he uses him or her. 
And then for many, the main reason that we don't move on and the main reason why the, the law of sin and death holds on to our lives is because we leave those things that again, I'm not going to go back there, but we talked about last week, there's unresolved personal and spiritual conflicts in our lives and they hold us back. You know those... Um, Oh, I've got no idea what you call them. But you know, like, if you go to a bouncy castle, man, these days you, you, you can choose. It doesn't have to be a bouncy castle. It can be some fancy kind of a sumo wrestling game. Or it can be one of those, and this is what I'm thinking of, one of these long tracks and you're on a strong bungee line and you run up it, you know? You don't, no, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Yeah, you're looking at me like, yeah, you do. And you, you've done it, Andrew. No, you haven't, no. You know, and so you've got this big elastic band, basically, tied to your rear somehow. And the idea is you run up this track, I suppose. Why? I don't know. But apparently you do. You run up this track. But there is a certain inevitability about it because this elastic band is attached to your rear. The, the further you go, the harder it will be to get that little bit further. And inevitably, that tide of elasticity will pull you back. And the things in our lives are like that. When they remain unresolved, they hold on to us, and, and it's like by the sheer willpower of our human spirit, we can get so far. But there is a certain inevitability about those things that are unresolved in our lives that they will pull us back. And the law of the spirit, the law of the spirit is to live free from those things. The law of the Spirit is to live free from those things. But it is a choice. It is a choice. And sometimes the choice is a hard choice for us to make. Choosing to walk by the Spirit every day. A genuine choice. You see, once we committed ourselves to become a Christian... It was a choice, but it was the first of countless choices we will have to make all the way through our lives if we're going to live in the Spirit. You see, it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 15 minutes or for 50 years. Tomorrow morning, you will have to make a choice how you will live tomorrow or the law of sin and death will rise up in you again. It has not left it is, we are not free from it. That's the curse that we live under. The second coming will sort that out. But until that day, it is still there. I remember hearing a story of, uh, of, uh, of a chap who had a very difficult childhood uh, in which he was largely ignored by his parents and sometimes abused by them. He became a Christian. And later he became a pastor. And on the outside, it seemed a huge success. But inside, there was all this unresolved stuff. And that bungee line was tied tight around him. And he led this church and he went on up the track, so it was. But the further up the track he went, the stronger the pull of these unresolved issues were in his life, this bungee. And uh, after a period, uh, he, he had uh, a breakdown of some kind. The, the, the elasticity, the inevitable, pulled him back. Uh, and, uh, and his life, to all intents and purposes, appeared to be uh, in ruins. He left the ministry. He became an, an alcoholic. He couldn't come to terms with the, the, the mess that he'd made publicly. Couldn't come to terms with the issues and so on that were within. And then, and then he found freedom in Christ. 
Then he found what it was to live, not uh, under the law of sin and death, but under the law of the life-giving Spirit. And God healed him in a glorious way. And as a result of that, God uses him to heal many, uh, to help in, in, in bringing other, others, many others, to freedom. But this is what he says. There is not a day in my life when my flesh does not tell me that I'm a useless waste of space. Those old, old messages are still there. His fleshly thought patterns have not gone away, but he's learnt to make a choice every day not to listen to them, no matter how strongly they might come over, because he knows that they are not true. He knows they are not true. It's when we are uncertain about the truth that we will succumb to the law of the Spirit. So, this walking by the Spirit, what is it and what isn't it? What choice will you make tomorrow morning? Well, it's not just about uh, feeling good, feeling full of joy is a lovely gift from the Holy Spirit, but it's not just about that. Life is not based on feelings. You might feel uh, quite rough tomorrow morning following a difficult pizza later on this evening. It's not about feelings. We don't live according to how we feel. And it's not a license either to do whatever we want. This freedom that we have is a freedom to do what's right, not a freedom to do what we choose. It's not legalism either, buying into a set of rules, as if by those rules themselves they will bring healing and purpose to our lives. In fact, the very point of the law was to show us what desperate need we had of God's saving grace. How tragic that we've now turned them into some kind of, uh, 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 of, of exam, if only we could pass with, uh, without any imperfection. It's not about legalism either. Walking by the Spirit is tomorrow, making that choice and living in freedom. The Bible says that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And every area of your life into which you invite the Spirit of God, there will be freedom. What's that freedom? It's freedom to do the right thing. Freedom to do the right thing. See, the trouble with people all around us is they know what the right thing is, but they can't do it. Most people still know what the right thing is. But they settle for what they know isn't the right thing because they have not the freedom to do what is right. Walking by the Spirit tomorrow will be being led. In the West, we drive our sheep or use sheepdogs to drive them. In, the, in Israel, the shepherds lead from the front. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Tomorrow, to live by the Spirit is to be led by Jesus, not to be driven by these desires that would consume us. And thirdly and finally, it's about walking at God's pace in the right direction. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who fancies walking with a God 
whose yoke is easy and burden is light. So there's not many places in life where you're given an easy yoke and a light burden. But what if the master of all, forget your earthly boss for a minute, I mean, who cares? The boss, the heavenly boss says, hey, the yoke's easy tomorrow and the burden is light. Nothing will get done if we expect God to do it all. And neither can we accomplish anything lasting for eternity by ourselves. And neither will we be any use to God if we do not decide each and every day to do what? To take up our cross. To deny self. That's the flesh. Same word. To crucify self. To get rid of these old patterns. To say no to them. Because a greater power, a greater law is at work in our lives. What does it look like? Well, you can always tell whether you're walking by the Spirit or not. It's a bit small, isn't it? But you, you can always tell. And it's, uh, it's sometimes a frightening thing to be able to tell. You can look back over this last week and you will know whether you've been walking by the Spirit or not. Because if you've been walking by the Spirit, then love would have been very evident in your life this last week. And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But if not, then some of those other fruits are very likely to have reared their head in your life. A tree is always known by its fruit, and as Christian people, we're known by our fruit. Walking by the Spirit is a moment by moment, day by day choice and experience. You can choose every moment of every day either to walk in the Spirit or to walk in the law of sin and death. But once you've understood the truth of who God is and who you are, why would you ever want to walk in the flesh again? 